0: Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. I'm your host, Sean McDowell, professor of apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University.
1: And I'm your co-host, Scott Ray, dean of faculty
0: and professor of Christian ethics, also at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. Well, today, since it's Halloween, we wanted to do a unique show with somebody who has a very interesting perspective on youth culture. Rather than just talk about demons and the occult and some of the conversations that are important that come up, we want to talk about, is this really a trend within culture today and within kind of student culture? How big of a deal is the occult? Should we be concerned? Where do we see it manifested, et cetera? And when you talk about student culture and how to analyze culture, I don't know anybody better than my friend Walt Mueller, He is the founder and president of the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, which is a nonprofit organization serving schools, churches, and communities across the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. It is one of my go-to organizations to just kind of get my finger, so to speak, on the pulse of what's happening in culture. So, Walt, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Before we get to students and kind of questions related to the occult, I want to know more broadly, how do you approach culture as a map? and a mirror. What do you mean by this?
2: Yeah, we always, when I define culture, and I'm talking to youth workers and parents, I try to simplify it in terms of a more functional definition. And so I will often tell them that culture, youth culture, is the soup that our students swim in every day. And the ingredients in this soup, because of the rate of change in culture, change from day to day. So our job as people who are involved in cross-cultural missionary work, whether we're parents or youth workers or pastors, is to stir that soup up every day to see what's in there today that maybe wasn't in there yesterday and maybe what's gone. And then I, I work to help people understand that there's a function here. And culture functions first as a map. It is directive and prescriptive. In other words, if I'm swimming in it and I'm a vulnerable young person, my pores are open, I'm marinating in this, and it's shaping the way I think, sometimes without me even knowing it. And it maps out life, the kinds of beliefs and values that I need to embrace. And then those things, of course, result in behaviors. So that's how it serves as a, as a map. It guides us from point A, uh, simply stated, you know, the dependence of childhood, to point B, the independence of adulthood, and how I'm going to live the rest of my life. It shapes my worldview. As a mirror, it's a helpful, uh, helpful tool for those of us who are in ministry and who are trying to reach kids and understand kids because we stand over their shoulders and we we look into the mirror of what it is that they're engaging with. So the types of things they're reading, the types of things they're listening to, the types of things they're watching, and we allow it to reflect back to us who our kids are. Sometimes, well, usually it states much better than kids could state themselves what they believe and what's behind their behaviors. So much like Paul, In Acts 17, when he went into Athens and he walked around and looked carefully at their objects of worship, you know, working to listen and understand before he spoke, I I would say to people, do the same with uh, today's youth culture. That way you get to understand kids and you know what to say a little bit better, what to say and how to say it when you're engaging with students.
0: So is that really what it takes to understand culture is just watching closely, listening, asking questions, paying attention? What does that look like for you regularly? And what would that look like for parents and others who are just trying to understand what's happening with young people today?
2: Yeah, well, certainly, you know, there's a couple of levels here, Sean, that I think we need to pay attention to and listen to. One are those overarching, you know, macro trends that are out there in in the culture today. These are things that because we live in a globalized world, things that tend to be threads that run through youth culture, no matter where you are. So, you know, watching some of the mainstream television shows that might be out there, just paying attention to the newspaper. I love that whole idea of starting your day with a Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, or as John Stott says, you know, do dual listening, listen to the word, listen to the world. So look for what those, what those macro trends are and you know certainly like listening to your podcast or you know checking out our website cpyu.org there are loads of places you can go to find out what those things are but then you also have to look at the microculture that's unique to your situation so a youth worker what about the students you're working with or parents what about your particular kids and the kinds of things they're engaging with uh the types of people that they're interacting with the experiences that they have in the local situation and those tend to be a little more nuanced but i'll tell you over the course of time this globalized youth culture is having a greater and greater impact on people and almost making it so that even the even the the microcultures that are out there are are lining up
1: much more so while you've been at this for se- for several decades now uh, you've seen a lot of changes in youth culture over the, over the years that you've been involved working with students. What are the big changes that you've seen that that sort of stand out to you in youth culture over the t- this time period you've spent working with students? And by yeah. the way,
0: I kind of consider you a youth ministry father. And in case you feel aged, I throw my dad in the youth ministry grandfather realm so
2: (laughs) that makes me feel well
0: he's been around a long time but you've been doing this enough and i mean it a compliment that you really bring some expertise to to studying youth culture
2: yeah well you you took my breath away there for a minute then you redeemed it sean (laughs) that was great i love that yeah you know just when i look at wake up and look in the mirror that's one of the biggest changes i see by the way guys you know when i look in the mirror that's the biggest change no longer am i youth culture i'm now old guy culture well you know it's interesting and you, you'll not be surprised by this, but just in terms of general large trends, you know, I've lived long enough and and read enough, you know, history wise, to go back to post World War II, the 1950s and 1960s, and that shift from uh, a more modern, rational world to a more postmodern, feeling-oriented world. And certainly, there's a lot more to it than that. But that's one of the biggest shifts I've seen. Certainly, you know, you see that in marketing where. Old advertisements used to appeal to reason. You know, this product A is better than product B because it works better. Here's the proof. You know, as 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 crazy as some of those ads were, but now we sell with emotion, and it's not so much the product itself that we're trying to sell, but a worldview associated with the product, as the ads tell stories, and that that really is the biggest shift that we've moved from a more rational world where there was more of a more of a commonly held standard and objective standard of right and wrong that all the institutions and culture by and large agreed with now to this, just this, you know, shotgun out there where people are firing in all directions and everyone decides for themselves what's right and what's wrong. And that shift has taken place so quickly that, you know, when I first started in youth ministry, there were certain assumptions we had uh or things that we de- didn't even have to address in terms of, of, of emotions and things. Now, the, the rational appeal to the scriptures was deeply embedded. And now everybody's out there doing their own thing. And, and it's very syncretistic. It's a, a buffet spirituality where everybody picks and chooses what they want at any given point in time. So I, I would say that's the big thing. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest trends right now that I'm really pushing on and working to understand is what uh charles taylor in his book a secular age robert bell had talked about this and i know you guys are familiar with this but expressive individualism where mm-hmm. our highest value and goal in life is to be authentic to who we are and we see this working out well primarily uh well it's in, in all areas of life but i think a lot in the area of sexuality and gender and so fluidity Really is sort of a mantra of the age you can just drift all over the place uh, in how you view yourself, the identity you place on yourself your your understanding of your gender identity uh and, and even when it comes to faith, we see this it's it, it's undermining orthodox christian faith and and to me uh that's deeply troubling.
0: part of my question is how tied is this individualism? to kind of the naturalistic worldview. And what I mean by that is within the Christian worldview, it's about loving God and loving other people. Mm -hmm. So there's a supernatural realm outside of me. There's the way the world is, and I conform myself to that reality. But this individualism, for example, I think about like Coke. I remember this commercial when I was a kid, it was Coke versus Pepsi. And And the idea is like there's two options. Now you buy your own soda-making machine to the exact flavor you want. And if that's not good enough, get a soda now with your name on it. So I agree 100% about this expressive individualism. Is that kind of tied to losing this sense of the supernatural? Is there a connection there? Because if there is a supernatural, then there's a truth outside of me I need to conform my life to.
2: Yeah, I think in some ways that's that's pretty accurate, you know. So we've moved from this more objective standard of transcendent truth to a more subjective way of living life, which would be, you know, what you refer more to, to naturalism. That would certainly be a good home for that. Uh, but I do think, Sean, that you know the good news, and I, and I know you know this, and this is why we can make the appeal, the the gospel appeal to all people, because all people ultimately are longing for that transcendence. And Mm. just to make that connect is, you know, is the big thing. And two, you know, this is what Paul did. Again, I go back to uh, Athens, Acts 17, that passage has been so instrumental in my understanding of how to not only, you know, work to exegete culture now, but to use culture to reach people. I mean, uh, we know this, that, That as Pascal said, that God, that God-shaped vacuum is there. Or Augustine, you know, that restless heart is there. So there's always that yearning for transcendence, but I think young people are definitely and older people as well, just generally in our culture, we're we're not going to the right place to find it. And let me say this, I fear that in our ministries, we are not being as direct or as straightforward as we can, must, should be. In terms of, uh, you know, communicating the truths of the gospel to young people. I, I think we're afraid of turning them off because we've bought so much into, you know, having to placate them for the particular type of worldview that they've embraced.
0: This is a really powerful point that as we talk about different worldviews, we have to remember that kids always have been and always will be made in the image of God and yearn for this kind of transcendence in the way that you described it. So that is really helpful to, to not get too caught up in the trends of the day. Uh, since today's Halloween, let me, let me ask you this. How do you make sense of there's kind of this show, Stranger Things, in which it seems like there's a supernatural element. They have the mind flare that possesses one of the characters. The Demogorgons seem like they're these demon-like beings. And there's this upside-down world which also seems like a supernatural realm, but when the kids want to access this world, they go to a scientist. So it's really not a supernatural story. It's purely a natural story, kind of cloaked as if it's supernatural. Do you yeah. think that's, like, like, talk to me about that. Is the occultic powers real that we're seeing? Is it all naturalistic? How is this generation looking at the supernatural realm?
2: Well, that's a great insight. And here's how I would answer that question. I, I don't know how to say, you know, how to answer how this generation is looking at that realm, but this is a great case and a great example of when you're dealing with a student who's engaged with a show like Stranger Things, ask them, ask them that question, that question you mm-hmm. just asked me, because what what their response will reveal to you whether or not they see it as a supernatural world or as a natural world. And either way they go with that, I mean, that's that's a diagnostic question in many ways. And either way they go with that, that is going to open doors for you to first understand more deeply where they're from and or where they're coming from, and then where you need to take them to, how to begin to respond to them. So my guess is, you know, I've engaged with youth workers and kids, and even me myself watching Stranger Things, who would see it as uh a, a supernatural thing, you know, sort of the 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 world of light and the world of darkness, uh, seeing it that way. And then there are others who would see it more as, of course, I look at it through the framework of a Christian world and life. You know, I'm trying to interpret it that way. And I think many of our kids who at least have a little bit of understanding of that will see it that way. But there's others who don't, who will see it purely in the way you've just described.
1: Well, let me follow up on that just Briefly, I think most of our listeners will assume that any reference to thing, the things like Stranger Things, brings out this sort of automatically involves a a belief in the supernatural. Uh, how 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 is it that you could have the phenomena that the show like that describes and be strictly relegated to naturalism? <laughs>
2: Well, I think a lot of it rests on someone's assumptions, you know. And this is where I would go back to what I just said. You know, I come at it from the perspective of a Christian world and life view. I I would say that I liken this to how, in my in my situation, how twenty years ago I watched The Matrix, and you know, kind of that world beneath and that or the matrix there, and then I start to interpret it through the scriptures. But those who don't have that notion or that idea. You know, I I think they will go at it from a naturalistic viewpoint. I'm not sure they will see it from a supernaturalistic viewpoint. And that's where I think we can use it as a stepping stone in conversation to take them into things that are good, true, right, and honorable as we look at the scriptures and see that there is something objective out there that is transcendent. The sovereign God of the universe who made us. And then work through the biblical story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration to bring them to an understanding of how, how they fit in to that grander story, how they fit into
1: God's story. So while well, a show like Stranger Things um, you know, so it is one of the ways, I think, that people are being introduced to the demonic and the, the world of the occult. Uh, but I, I wonder, before we go any further exploring that, can you explain to our listeners exactly what you mean by the occult? How, how, how should they understand exactly what that is?
2: Yeah, and, and that's an interesting phenomenon, too, because when you, from a Christian perspective, when you look at things that are dark or things that are demonic or things that are, you know, what the scriptures would call, I, I would even include, you know, the, the, the world and the flesh, but the devil. Um, you know, the course of this world, the zeitgeist, I, I think when you when you look at those things, some of them are more sensationalistic. That's what most people would interpret to be uh, the occult. But I think there are things that are just mo- much more veiled that we need to be concerned about, especially in, uh, in our North American setting. You know, when I talk to missionaries, they will talk about manifestations of the demonic and the occult in ways that are kind of like, you know, what we would equate with maybe a horror film, Um, you know, demon possession and just some of of the, the more sensationalistic stuff. But I think as well, there's this element that we overlook that is what really sneaks in to us, even as followers of Jesus Christ, and even within the church in terms of the way that the enemy operates, getting us to question, let's say, um, you know, so so really anything of the enemy. So, for example, when you go back to Genesis and just at the, at the time of the fall, when Satan says, did God really say? I find that there's so much questioning of God's truth right now in the church. And Satan is using, the enemy is using that same ploy, that same tactic to undermine uh, Christian belief and Christian nurture and sanctification as we start to question, and I think this has resulted a lot in uh, the, the the rise of expressive individualism in the church and even some of the more progressive uh, types of well quote unquote progressive types of Christianity that are out there. I hope that makes sense, but you know, I, yeah. I again, I mean, I for me as a follower of Christ, I mean, I am uh, working to understand. That the way the demonic or or the satanic or the occult comes through in my life would be through temptation, uh, accusation, doubt, distraction, deception, uh, coming to an understanding or or being tempted to come to an understanding, even imbalance between, you know, truth and love. And those are some of the ways that I think are actually the most dangerous and the ones that we should be aware of.
0: This is, this is really helpful for, for us to reflect upon because I grew up in the 80s and early 90s and there was like concern about blatant occultic beliefs. You'd hear testimonies at churches and camps about Satanists and people talk about back masking where they'd play Ozzy Osbourne's music backwards and it would uh, allegedly say worship the devil or something like that. But you don't even hear these kind of concerns today. What you're saying is that Really, satanic beliefs are much more powerful when they're subtle rather when they're explicit. And I think we saw this about, gosh, it's been maybe 12 or 13 years ago when the Da Vinci Code came out. The whole church was in uproar about this and deeply concerned about the message in the Da Vinci Code, which was fiction, but not the same response to the typical TV shows that people are showing and watching and music that is not as explicit. Is that really the heart of your concern? And have you seen that shift in terms of how Christians approach occultic beliefs today as well?
2: Yeah, I think we look for the extremes, Sean, and we get lost in the extremes. We react to the extremes. The extremes are what get the press, you know, but then we lose the reality of how the enemy works by focusing on those extremes. So a great example of what you're talking about, when I talk to parents, I find that many parents will judge film solely based on the rating system, and so they will uh, keep their kids or they'll keep themselves from any uh, R-rated films because of violence, sex, and profanity. They fail to see that there's violence, sex, and profanity in the scriptures as well, and that does, doesn't justify all the violence, sex, and profanity that is in film. But if they're, what I've often said is, you, you're missing some good truth, you know, some truth and some good stories if you purely make make your decisions based on the ratings, and you're inviting in, if you just base your decisions for your children on the ratings, you're inviting in worldview elements that are deeply distressing from time to time in some of the G-rated or PG-rated or PG-13 rated films that when we trust, you know, that there's no violence, sex, or profanity, we fail to understand the you know that the worldview ideas that are uh implicit in those things and sometimes even explicit, we overlook those
1: and that's such a good point about how how the the subtlety of demonic influence is really what is what is capturing youth our youth today but there there are I think others who are who are being captured by the more overt Types of occultic behavior that you're that you're referring to. So, what are what are some signs that a that a high school or a college student might actually be being influenced by occultic beliefs? Like Wicca, yeah, maybe.
2: yeah. Wicca Something would like be an that. example yeah. we've yeah. heard about a lot recently. Yeah. How and prominent it, is yes, that? Yes, and you know there was some research that just came out on that. Uh, the Pew Foundation actually was tracking along with, uh, I believe it was Middlebury College in Connecticut. They were looking at. Um, you know, how many practicing Wiccans there were, excuse me, it was Trinity College in Connecticut. So from uh, an estimated 8,000 Wiccans here in this country in 1990, they found that in 2008 there were 340,000 practitioners. Pew Foundation studied the issue even further in 2014 and found that approximately 1 million to 1.5 million people identify as Wiccan or pagan. I lived in Salem, wow. Massachusetts when I was in seminary back in the early eighties. And I would guess that many of those original Wiccans, that's where they lived. Now these folks would not say they're actual Satan worshipers. They would they would differentiate themselves. They would they would talk more about white magic and Satan not being a personal being and um you know worship of the earth and goddess worship and things like that as opposed to those who would be in the more extreme you know the upside down pentagram type of occult uh, satanic worship yeah i would say just simply stated you know watch who they're hanging out with look carefully at the way they dress because this is a subculture that really does adopt an outward appearance in many ways again when i was in salem you know it was the way they they wore their clothing a lot of black a lot of long dresses a lot of makeup, things like that. And it's not always that, but keep an eye on that. And in addition, you need to know as well that kids who get drawn into this, they're trying to find a place to belong. That's that's what extreme subcultures typically are. And this particular subculture is unique in the sense that it offers the powerless power, especially if they have been squashed by Uh, peers or other adults in their lives. This is a way for them in their mind to grab a lot of power to exercise over others.
0: Walt, this is great stuff. Let me ask you a last kind of practical question. What's your advice if parents, youth workers say, hey, my kids want to dress up, celebrate Halloween. Should we throw on a Halloween bash? What's your wisdom when that kind of question comes up?
2: Yeah, that's a tough one, Sean. And I go back and forth on that because I grew up with that in a healthy way without any knowledge at all of any sort of background to Halloween and Halloween practices. And I hear things back and forth as people argue that. Um, I had a conversation with a family yesterday and I just asked them the question. They're very deliberate about, you know, the faith matters. And they said basically what we do is we let our kids go get candy. We don't do anything scary. We don't in, in embrace any of it that's scary. And I know, you know, people are all over the map on that. And I, again, I, I would think that that's, that's wise there, but I also know that it can be a doorway and we have to be careful about that. And a lot, a lot of it goes with, you know, what, what sort of bent or direction are our kids heading in terms of their interests as it relates to pop culture and film? their friendships, that sort of thing. But I'm also very careful about, and I know I'm not giving you a, a really direct answer here, but we don't want to give the devil a foothold. And, mm. you know, I find that to be some of the best advice out there. And so parents have to make up their mind on this uh, as they think through and pray through this and take a good, hard look at their kids, their local community, and the kinds of things their kids are involved in.
0: That's a great response. Just guide, kind of guidelines how to approach this and also wisdom from working with students for a long time. We really appreciate you coming on, especially that we recognize religions like Wiccan and other pagan ones still do have a foothold in our culture, but probably in terms of numbers and influence through media and other forms, this expressive individualism is coming through and it's undermining our kids' confidence in the gospel and the way that they relate to the, to the Lord and they live out their lives. So this encouragement you've given us to pay close attention to what's happening in culture and to engage our kids to see it from a biblical perspective is just wonderful. I wanna to commend to our audience. I, I read your uh, weekly update from cpyu.org. Kind of the culture update is one that I go to to just make sure I'm tracking with what's going on with student culture today. So I hope our audience uh, will check that out. Walt Mueller, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Walt Mueller, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash thinkbiblically. That's biola.edu forward slash thinkbiblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and consider sharing it with a friend. Thanks for listening. And remember, think biblically about everything.